Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Joel, I'm a pastoral intern here, and basically all that means is Pastor Bob is my boss, and he's trying to make me a miniature version of him. Okay, maybe not miniature. As you can see, I got uh, a table that he did not use because this is probably about as tall as he is. But anyway, anyway, we have started a new series called The Final Countdown, where we're trying to figure out what in the world is going on and how soon is the return of Jesus. So last week, we took a look at the current conflict happening in the Middle East and really how that conflict was started by people who did not obey God the first time. So today, we're going to continue our journey looking at the return of Jesus, which is going to bring us to the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. But before we get there, there's something that Jesus said during his first coming about his second coming, and I'd like to read that for you real quick. So in the book of Mark, this is what Jesus said. He said, oh, on the wrong page, there we go. This is what Jesus said. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. So Jesus is coming back. We don't specifically know when, but we do know that we need to be ready. Now, I can remember a time when I was about 13 or 14 years old when I definitely wasn't ready. You see, something you need to know about me is I'm a middle child. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Maybe I need to say that again because I'm a middle child and you weren't paying attention. So I'm a middle child with an older brother and a younger sister. But being a middle child, there were different times or opportunities where I would want to prove and show my parents that I was just as capable or just as mature as my older brother. Now, one day, an opportunity arose when my dad, he was at work, and my mom was going to go visit a friend, and I thought, hey, typically they leave Jaden in charge, my older brother, when we're left home alone. But what if they left me in charge? So I went and I asked my mom, and surprisingly, she said, yes, I could be in charge. Now, looking back, I really don't know what I was in charge of. Maybe I was in charge of calling them in case of an emergency. But anyway, this perceived authority was important to me. Now, I don't remember specifically what caused my downfall as a leader, but I do remember my response. So my younger sister did something, and that something, whatever it was, made me mad. So mad where the only logical and appropriate thing to do was to chase her around the house until I caught her. In fact, I remember, like, there's the dining room table. I'm on one side. She's on the other. I'm trying to figure out how do I get around. I can't go over the table because she'll get away. And if I go around the table and commit to a side, she'll just keep running in circles. And it was at that moment when my mom came home. Needless to say, I was not ready for her return. And when she did get back, I was not doing the work that I was supposed to do. I was too busy chasing my sister around the dining room table. But if I had known when my sister, or when my mom was coming back, I would have behaved differently. Look again at what Jesus said. He said, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. 
And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. So Jesus is teaching us that you and I need to be ready for the return of Jesus. But how do we do that? How can we be ready? How can we avoid being like me waiting for my mom to return home? Well, thankfully, we can turn to the book of Revelation, a message directly from Jesus to his church, and we're going to see two things you and I need to do today to live ready for the return of Jesus. So, the moment I'm sure you've been waiting for, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And if you need help finding where it's at, just open your Bible to pretty much everywhere and keep flipping pages until you come to the end. But we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Jesus has instructions for his church. So John said, all right, you better listen up. This is coming from him. And then we get this introduction. Look at verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, who is still to come, the Almighty One. These verses, verses give us the first step we need to take to be ready for the return of Jesus. And that is, you need to know who Jesus is. Because if you don't know Jesus, you will not be ready for his coming. Before Jesus tells John about all the crazy events, all the encouragements to the church, and the insight into spiritual realities, we start with a description of who Jesus is. And, and let me point some of them out for you. It says that Jesus is the faithful witness, saying that Jesus is reliable, trustworthy. What he says is true. Also, he is the firstborn of the dead. This is talking about his resurrection. Also, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. All power and all authority belongs to him. And he's the one who has set us free from our sin. He is our savior, our deliverer. He's also made us a kingdom of priests. This means that those who Jesus has saved, we get to serve God. And he is the one who is coming back. He is worth waiting for, and he will come and establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So you need to know who Jesus is. You and I, we need to know and believe the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our maybe tradition or our imagination or even the Jesus of a show. See, many people, when they think of Jesus, something like this 
comes to mind. Jesus as this, this white, lovely, effeminate-looking man, loves to play in fields with, with sheep and, and children. A Jesus who's never seen a hard day's work in his life. And as a pastor that I like to listen to named Vody Bauckham likes to say, this Jesus would make a great shampoo model. Well, in just a few verses, the Apostle John actually sees Jesus. And he describes him as this, this mighty king whose eyes are like fire. His voice is like the sound of an ocean. And when he speaks, a sword comes from his mouth. And one day he will judge the world. And John, when he sees this, well, verse 17 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. The Apostle John, who during Christ's first coming was one of the closest people to Jesus, closer than the other 12 disciples, when that John sees Jesus again, he falls down in fear as if he was dead. Jesus actually comes up to him and says, hey, don't be afraid, as Jesus is more powerful and more glorious than you or I could ever imagine. Is that the Jesus you know? Do you know him as your savior, as your forgiver and leader, the one who has saved you from your sins? Because if you don't know him, you will not be ready for his coming. And when he does come, it will be too late. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he has not saved you from your sins, then I'm begging you, come and talk to me after the service. Maybe come talk to Pastor Bob or maybe the person who invited you, but don't leave today without having a conversation about this because it's too important. And really, here's why I want to talk to you. If you're going to reject Jesus and you're going to reject the message of the gospel, I just want to make sure you know who you are rejecting. So not only do you need to know who Jesus is, but you need to obey what Jesus says. So the next two chapters of Revelation, Jesus delivers a specific and personal message to seven different churches in this region of Asia. I actually have a picture of them here on screen to show you that these are real places, real churches with real people facing real life situations. And Jesus has a letter for each of them addressing how that church in their situation needs to obey him. And while all seven of them are relevant for us today, we're only going to focus on one in our time here together. We're going to focus on the one that I think may be the most applicable to us here in the United States, and also one that I think is one of the most misunderstood of the seven letters. So, you can flip over a few pages to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at the city, or the church in the city of Laodicea. Verse 14, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Real quick, just reminding you, this is Jesus who is the one speaking. Remember, we already saw a faithful witness. So when you see an eye, Jesus is talking here. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Let's pause there. Many people, when they read those verses, 
and actually myself included until a couple months ago, they think it's saying something like this. You need to be hot, no, no, not attractive. You need to be on fire for God. You need to be all in for him, or you need to be cold. You need to be against God. You need to be unsaved. At least then you know where you stand. But don't be lukewarm. Don't be a on the fence, in the middle Christian. In fact, it would be better for you to be unsaved than lukewarm. Okay, I don't think that is what these verses are talking about. To fully understand Jesus' message to his church, there are some things that we need to know about the city of Laodicea. So as you can imagine, every city needs a good water supply. Laodicea did not have that. They had to transport their water from other places. And from archaeology, we found that they had a quite impressive uh, pipe and aqueduct system for the technology they had at the time. But really, Laodicea had two options of where they could get their water from. The first is a city called Hierapolis, about six miles away. Hierapolis was known for these hot springs of water, which were used for spas and other medicinal purposes. But by the time the hot water was transported and, and got to Laodicea, it became lukewarm. The water could no longer fulfill its intended purpose. Now, 10 miles to the south, you got the city of Colossae, and Colossae had these refreshing cold springs of water. But with the hot climate and the long distance to travel, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it became lukewarm. The water could no longer fulfill its intended purpose. So hot is good. Cold is good. Both hot and cold fulfill the purpose that God has for them. But lukewarm? Well, what does the text say? I will spit you out of my mouth. See, Jesus is talking to his church. The lukewarm people here are believers. They are saved. They are followers of Jesus who are not fulfilling their purpose. They weren't doing the works that God told them to do. And just like the water was too far removed from Laodicea to be of use, these Christians were too disconnected from God to be used by him. So what was this church doing that was causing them to be lukewarm? Look at verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Once again, there are some things that we need to know about the city of Laodicea to fully understand Christ's message to his church. First is Laodicea was a rich city. There were a banking city. A lot of money was coming through. In fact, this area of the Middle East is prone to having earthquakes. So an earthquake would come, destroy part of a city, and Laodicea would send money to help that city rebuild. And then in 60-61 AD, an earthquake struck and broke down part of Laodicea. Rome sent money to help Laodicea rebuild, and they sent the money back. We're good. We're rich. I have prospered. Also, Laodicea was known for its hospital, and they specialized in eye ointment and eye salve. And they used ointments and salves like that because they didn't have the, the modern medicine that you and I have today. And then finally, 
The city of Laodicea was one of the primary exporters of black wool, which is, you can imagine, used in things like clothing. So Jesus calls out three specific problems with this church. Jesus says that you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. And these three areas where this city has thrived, the church has ceased to depend on God. They said, I'm, I'm rich, I'm good to go, we have what we need. This church was so self-reliant on themselves that they didn't turn to God, they didn't see their need for God, how they had to depend on Him, and because they weren't dependent on God, they weren't doing the works that God had called them to do, and because this church wasn't fulfilling their purpose, they became lukewarm. Now, I read that, I look at that city, and I can't help but wonder, uh-oh, is the rapture happening? Okay, I think we're good. But I, I look at the, the city of Laodicea, and I can't help but wonder, what about us? So the United States is one of the richest countries in the world. This information was taken during 2019. And the United States is the richest country according to this. And the next three richest countries, China, Japan, and Germany, were richer than all three of them combined. We're rich. This next slide shows the um, amount of money spent on clothing and shoes in the year 2020. And once again, the U.S. is number one. We're higher than China. China has more people to clothe than we do here. And then finally, here in the U.S., we have an overabundance of doctors and hospitals. I mean, I have a doctor for my feet, for my eyes, for my mouth, and my family doctor. And then there's like any hospital that I can go to. And this slide just shows the amount of money spent per capita, kind of like per person, of these different countries. And once again, the United States is number one. Now, I'm not saying that any of these are, are bad things. In fact, I'm, I'm quite thankful for the doctors and medicine we have in this country. But I'm just saying, have we become lukewarm? Have we as a church stop being dependent on God? Because really, in preparing for this sermon, thinking about my own life, I'm thinking, hmm, I'm not overly dependent and acknowledging God is the source of my money, my clothes, my food, and my health. So if we as a church became lukewarm, well, what is our solution? What's the solution that Jesus gives to the church of Laodicea? Let's look at verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Now Jesus isn't literally telling his church to buy gold and white clothing. What these, he, what these are are analogies for work and purity. Let me explain. So the Bible often talks about our works, things that Christians do because they are saved, works we do to obey God, not works to get saved. And the Bible talks about our works being purified or refined by fire. Again, another analogy just saying that our works will be evaluated by God. 
And so Jesus is telling his church that the works you need to do are the works that matter. Don't pursue the works that are meaningless because they will get burned up. Do the works that will survive the fire in terms of the analogy and be purified like gold. And if you obey me in the works I'm telling you to do, you will be rich. Okay, what about the white garments? Again, later in Revelation, it talks about the church being the bride of Christ and the church is clothed in white, which is the works of the saints. And white in scripture is often used to symbolize the purity and the holiness of God and really how the church, those who are saved, fallen, sinful people, are given the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus. So Jesus is saying to his church, you need to be clothed in my purity, my righteousness, my holiness, and you need to remain faithful to me. You can't be pursuing idols. You can't be pursuing riches. You need me. And finally, Jesus says, you need to buy eye salve and eye ointment from me. Again, Jesus is talking about something in their culture that they're already familiar with. This church knows the benefits of the eye salves and eye ointment. And Jesus says, you need that but from me. You need me to help you see. You need me to give you spiritual discernment. I will help you know the difference between what is right and wrong. I will help you see what is true about yourself and how you need to grow. I'll help you see what's true about the world around you. You need me. In fact, maybe if I show it to you like this, this will help you understand it a bit better. So Laodicea, the church had a physical reality. They were physically rich. They could physically see, and they were physically clothed. But Jesus says that the spiritual reality is that they are poor, blind, and naked. And the solution to this is they need to buy gold refined by fire. They need to do the works that Jesus told them to do. They need to buy eye ointment so they may see. They need to depend on Jesus for spiritual discernment. And they need to buy white garments so they can clothe themselves. And they need to clothe themselves in the purity and the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus. And really, for each of these three solutions, Jesus is just pointing his church back to him. Jesus says that you need me. You have blinded yourself to your dependence on me. And if you want to stop being lukewarm, you need me. So how does God help his church see their need for him? How does God point his church back to him? Look at verse 19. I, Jesus, correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. So when my mom came home, and I was chasing my sister around the dining room table and all that fun stuff, I got in trouble. I don't remember the specific punishment, probably a good thing, but whenever I was getting discipline from my parents, they were doing it because they loved me. They wanted me to stop continuing in the bad, sinful behavior that I was pursuing. So they brought discipline to show me where I was wrong and where I needed to turn back to what is right. And they did all of that because they loved me. And part of that plays a role into the person I am today. And God does the same for his children. God paid for his children through Jesus, 
And God is not going to let his children continue in sin because he loves them. And because he loves them, he disciplines his children so that we can grow closer to him. Jesus disciplines people to show us our desperate need for him. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're realizing that you've become lukewarm. Or maybe you're convicted because there's an area of, you, of your life you know you are living disobediently to God. You know what you're doing is wrong. Well, maybe some of the difficult or, or painful things that you're going through may be God disciplining you. And it, it, that's not a, ah, you did wrong, I'm gonna punish you so you know what you're getting. No, Jesus will often bring situations into our lives that are difficult to help us see our need for him. God, I can't get through this on my own. I need you. I need to depend on you. Now, I'm not saying that every difficult or painful thing you go through is God's discipline. You can be fully committed and love God and, and not lukewarm and still go through hard things. Some of that Jesus promises will happen if you get saved. But here's the thing, God loves his church too much to let them continue being lukewarm. And because he loves them, he brings discipline to them. And the next verses are incredible because they show us what happens after the discipline. Look at verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. We will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So this, this standing at the door and knocking is not talking about salvation. Remember, Jesus is addressing his church, his lukewarm church. And Jesus is going to them saying, hey, come back to me. I'm inviting you back. Actually, I'm pursuing you. Let me in, and we can continue in fellowship. Come back to a full relationship with me. Come back and depend on me. Why? Because God loves them. And because they are his, he will discipline them to bring them back to him. Again, not punishment for punishment's sake, but because the Lord loves them. He wants to show, have them stop continuing in their sinful behavior. Okay, ready or not, Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Jesus says that if you're going to live ready, you cannot be lukewarm. You cannot be self-sufficient and not depend on God. So if you want to live ready, it is vital that you are obedient to him and you depend on him. Now, if you're feeling maybe a little overwhelmed because we talked about a ton of details, things that are true about Jesus, who's hot and who's not, things about sheep and banks, my goal for you is not to memorize all those details. We talk about them because they help us understand Jesus' message to his church, but I want you to obey him. Really, all I want you to remember are two things. You need to know who Jesus is and you need to obey what Jesus says, and in that order. Because if you don't know him, you won't obey him. So, what do you need to do? Well, on your way in, hopefully you got 
a piece of paper for notes. And, and part of the reason why we did that is we want you to come here Sunday morning expecting to hear something worth writing down. But here's what I want you to do. On your paper for notes or maybe on your phone, I want you to write down one thing that you need to remove from your life, one thing you need to stop doing to be ready for the return of Jesus. See, when my mom came home and I got caught, that was a terrible feeling. <laughs> and, and I deserved it because I got in trouble. But I don't want Jesus to return and I'm wasting my time or I'm living in sin. I want to be doing what Jesus told me to do. So what's one thing you need to remove from your life to be ready for him? And also, while you're writing something down, write one thing you need to remove and one thing you need to add to be ready for his return. Maybe you need to have someone over to your house. Be hospitable and, and, and then tell them about Jesus. Maybe you need to build the habit of getting to know God and start reading your Bible. We have plans at the Next Steps table and the Welcome Center to help you do that. While you're writing something down, I want to read another verse for you. 1 John chapter 2, 28. Well, chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. And I want that to be true of each and every one of you. So, one last thing, and then I'll be done, I promise. We have created an awesome resource for you. We have created, and by we, I mean Pastor Aaron from our Vestal campus, but we've created a seven-day devotional that will go through each of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. We've only looked at one, and all of them will help you obey Jesus. I'm super excited about this. I've already gone through it, and I'm so excited about this, I'm going to take my small group through it. So if you're in my small group, I don't see anyone, be sure to grab one of these before you go. But the, this is awesome, and I know it will be a blessing to your life. So you can find these at both the Next Steps table and at the Welcome Center. We're not going to make you take one, but I would highly recommend it. Oh, and if you're watching online, there should be a QR code for you to scan as well. That'll give you a digital version. Jesus is coming back. So how do you need to obey him today? And again, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please come and talk to me because I don't want you to spend eternity in hell paying for your sins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for another day that you've given us. I don't know when you'll return, but I'm thankful for today, including the cold. Thank you that I could be here at church with all these people. And Lord, I pray that you would help them pray that you would help me. Help us all to be dependent on you. Remind us of our need for you. And God, however, each of us here needs to obey you today. I pray that you would help us to know what to do, and we would love you more than we love ourselves and our own desires that aren't, aren't even close to loving you. God, and if anyone here does not know you, I pray that you would save them draw them to you. I love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.